Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm your host and coach, Tyler Johnson. Thank you for tuning in. If you are a return listener, I'd be grateful for your rating or review. And if you dig this episode, give us a like or share. And now, whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you are in the right place. My guest this episode is a licensed psychologist and certified mental performance consultant. She is the former president of the Association of Applied Sports Psychology. She is also now the director of the NBA and WNBA's Mind Health programs. She's a former swimmer and basketball player herself. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Dr. Kinsa Gunter. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? It's a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, I'm excited to have you on. It's a pleasure to have you join us. Uh, so many things I'd love to, to ask you about, but uh, to start, I, I'd love to know just you know, what first got you fascinated in uh, psychology and performance and, and what kind of brought you into the world of work that you do now? Well, I was first kind of introduced to psychology in my undergraduate studies. It was quite literally my Psych 101 class. And I had a professor, Dr. Phillips, who made psychology and the study of human behavior sound like the most fascinating thing. And so that's where my initial interest was piqued. Um, And initially, I thought that I was going to pursue forensic psychology. That was the, the path I was on. And I actually have a master's degree in forensics. But Um, When I finished up my master's studies and was looking at doctoral programs, um, I was really thinking about whether I wanted to continue the forensic route. Um, And in a conversation with one of my other mentors, uh, Dr. Prasad, who was a psychiatrist that I was working with, um, she mentioned the field of sports psychology because she knew I had a passion for sport. I participated in sport earlier Mm -hmm. in my life, swimming and basketball were my loves. Um, And she knew I was interested in psychology. And she said, you know, there is this field that merges the two. And so when I went into my doctoral studies, that's where I shifted from forensic to a focus on sport psychology. Um, and I guess you could say the rest is history because I continued to pursue that track academically. And then in terms of my career path, it has been primarily focused on working in the world of sport and performance. I did, I did notice uh, you have a master's in forensic psychology. Um, Quick sidebar on that. Why are so many people fascinated with crime podcasts, crime dramas? I'm kind of one of them, but I'm like, I'm not, a, I don't want to do anything. But we, why as a culture do we view those so much as entertainment? You know, I think it's really about us being fascinated by people and being fascinated by what makes people tick and trying to understand why they do what they do, right? I think yeah. that's one of the things. Um, that's common for all of us. Like all of us feel, we all think, we all behave, right? And I think sometimes it is fascinating from a distance, right? To look at someone else's life, to look at some of the choices that they made and and to try to hear how those pieces were put together for them. Um, I think that's fascinating to us as a people. I think we like to try to understand why. And I think those kinds of discussions and those kinds of presentations allow us to to view other people's lives from a distance. And again, I think it's fascinating to try to understand why do we do what we do? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I had to, I had to jump on that forensic <laughs> tangent. I was like, I got to ask it. Um, you spent a, a good deal of time on college campuses and counseling. Uh, as you reflect back on those times and, and the times we're kind of in now, what were some of the key challenges that you consistently saw student athletes and students of that age kind of 
going up against? Yeah, that was my first kind of uh, professional landscape where I, where I first worked was in college counseling. And I really enjoyed that population because it's really a coming of age time for people. Like it's a major transition where they are going from late adolescence into adulthood, right? And they're still trying to figure out who they are, who they want to be in the world, how to feel comfortable in your own skin, like what values and beliefs really start to shape and define who you are and who you want to be, right? I think the goal during that time is not to make any mistakes that can't be removed from your permanent record, right? But certainly we are exploring during that time in different ways. And so when it comes to the student-athlete population, I think some of the challenges then are very similar to the challenges now, just balancing the demands of being a student-athlete and also to be trying to become who you are as a person, right? I think that's the third element of development uh, really that happens during that time. And we say student athlete, which sometimes eliminates the person, mm-hmm. right? But I think we're still trying to develop as people during that time. And that's a very significant time of development. And so I think managing all of the responsibilities that go along with that, all the expectations that go along with that, some of the pressures that go along with that and feeling like they have space to develop, right? Mm-hmm. And not just space to be perfect, right? Which mm-hmm. is not even a thing, but that space to develop means that we have the space to grow, to fail, to make mistakes, to learn from them, to succeed, yeah. to, to elevate, to thrive, to maintain, right? That, that developmental lens allows the room for the range of experiences that they might have during that time. And so I think it's sometimes challenging for our, our individuals, our young people who are student athletes to feel like they have that space. And so yeah. in terms of like mental health, of course, we see depression and anxiety. We know that that period between 18 and 24 is also a significant time when we see the onset of many mental health conditions. And so um, certainly trying to provide developmental appropriate support um, while also helping them as they navigate life. and. Yeah. and- I like how you frame that too, because I think even in my own experience as a student doing good as athlete outside people doing good, mm-hmm. but man, I struggled with trying to figure out who I was. And then mm-hmm. you're doing that while you're trying to perform in school and on the field in the same way. Can you talk about just maybe I know we we're going to wanted to ask you about the stigma of mental health, maybe how, how far we've come and how far we have to go. I definitely think the conversation around mental health has shifted in general. And I also think the conversation as it relates to the intersection of mental health and sport has has shifted as well. I think it shifted and expanded. So I think a couple of things. I think it's in large part due to the the courageousness and the vulnerability of athletes. Big time. um, At different levels, at the collegiate level, at the professional level, who have come out and talked about their own personal stories and how mental health or mental illness has played a role in that story. I think that has helped us to shift the conversation and to have this understanding that it's not that we are able to be successful or that we are able to be excellent or that we are able to achieve our goals because we don't experience adversity. It is learning how to navigate that adversity, getting support when we need it is what allows us to deal with those challenging times and to continue to move forward towards excellence, right? So excellence doesn't happen in the absence of adversity. It happens because we learn how to manage it. And I think athletes sharing their stories has highlighted that. I also think we see more intention um, to have resources available. Like I think that's one of the ways that the conversation shifting has resulted in some direct changes in how we respond to mental health and having resources available 
in college athletic departments at university counseling centers, professional teams ensuring that they have mental health resources available, I think is really important and, and yet another way in which we have moved in a good direction. Um, I also think that we've expanded beyond just thinking about mental health in relation to mental illness and also thinking about mental performance, right? Mm -hmm. So thinking about not only how can we help folks when they are in distress, but what can we proactively do to teach people skills and to help them develop a toolkit, if you will, that will allow them to um, enhance their mental performance and their mental game, right? So we can focus on mental health, wellness, and performance in the absence of illness. And I think that shift has also been helpful because it allows us to take a preventative approach and it also allows us to think about the mental aspect of who we are as an element of our performance, particularly when yeah, I think there's the term mental prehab gets thrown around, right? I think it's mm -hmm. when I was a college athlete, never heard that term. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I think it shows some growth. But, um, you know, what are some maybe coaches or kids that, that might be listening, um, some things that they might be able to check out or experiment with um, to kind of, you know, practice those things with the absence of illness to, to help build their mental skills? Yeah, I think the first thing is kind of like understanding what mental skills are. What are we talking about when we say mental skills? And so um, there's a couple of different resources. I know the junior MBA has a resource called the Next Level Mentality Series, and it's a digital resource that kind of highlights different mental skills. And that's one thing that folks can check out on their own. It's kind of a self-guided way to learn about mental skills. Um, there are a host of other uh, resources as well, as well. I know the Association for Applied Sports Psychology has resources available about mental performance and they have webinars and information and newsletters and blogs that folks can access to get more information about performance piece. Um, I think the American Psychological Association's Division 47 also has some information on their website. What I can do is kind of share some resources and maybe in the show notes, sure, you can sure. move to those resources. Gladly. Um, I think about Positive Coaching Alliance and the resources that they have available for coaches and for athletes as it relates to just thinking about the mental and emotional aspects of our lives in a different way. So I'll share some more of those resources to be included. We'll love it. Love it. Um, one of the things I've heard you talk about um, in the past, kind of tangent a little bit, is uh, it obviously impacts our mental wellness, our mental well-being is, is our relationships. Mm -hmm. And I've heard you talk about the art of relationships. Could you explain a little bit to our listeners of what the art of relationships is? Because I love the way you talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. So the art is an acronym for me that speaks to authenticity, respect, and trust. Um, and I think those are some of the key elements that are needed when we are thinking about developing relationships. I mean, certainly in the world of mental health and performance, I am very well aware that everything I do, any opportunity that I have with people comes within the context of a relationship. So it's really important to develop that. And I also have to recognize that simply by showing up doesn't mean a relationship is going to be formed, right? And simply by telling someone that I'm a resource and a trustworthy person doesn't mean that they're gonna feel that way, right? And so we have to really be real. Like people want to talk to other people. So that's where the authenticity comes from, right? Like being a real person talking to another real person really helps to create a baseline for that relationship to develop. So that's the authenticity piece, just kind of being very real and transparent kind of in your dealings with folks. The respect piece I think is very straightforward, right? It's respecting that 
Um, it, it, it's respecting like humility is a part of that. So it's respecting the fact that I have my experiences, but this other person has their experiences too, right? And I have to leave room for their experiences and be open to hearing about their experiences as a way of understanding who they are so that we can form this relationship and work together, right? So it's respecting that we both come to the table with who we are and who we individually are comes together to create whatever space exists in our relationships. So having that authenticity, that respect, and then trust, right? Trust is developed through actions, not just words. And so being consistent in my actions, allowing time for that relationship to develop, being present when we are engaging with one another, I think are ways that help to facilitate that trust. So for me, the art of really, and, and, and I would say the art of relationships is something that we're always building and always working on, right? And so just how are we showing up authentically in a respectful way? And how are we creating room for trust to be developed in this relationship? Love it. When you think about vulnerability, it's, I think leadership requires it, relationships, quality, trust, it's present. Where do you see vulnerability fitting in into the art? Yeah, I think vulnerability ties in um, really strongly with the authentic piece. I think we say vulnerability and sometimes what people hear is I have to tell everybody everything. And that's not really what vulnerability is at all. Certainly it is having um, the courage to share yourself authentically, like to be real about who you are and to show up in that kind of way. And so the fact that the vulnerability requires us to be real in our presentation and how we extend ourselves to other, I think that's why it fits with that authenticity piece to me, because it doesn't mean I tell everybody everything, but it does mean that I show up kind of in the fullness of who I am and allow room for others to do the same, right? And so it does, it, it may mean that if somebody asks a question and I don't know, I say, I don't know. It may mean that if I'm having a difficult day, right? Maybe I don't have to divulge all of that to the person I'm talking to, but I at least have to be honest with myself about it. And maybe that does impact how I show up. And maybe I communicate some elements of that in order to make sure that we're having a real, a real conversation and a real engagement instead of constantly wearing a mask or there's no room for me to be any way other than perfect and always okay. Right. So the vulnerability allows for a range of experiences to be okay. And I think, again, that ties in with the authenticity thing. Definitely. I love it. You, uh, you work with the MBA Mind Health Program. Can you, you talk a little bit about that and just kind of the initiatives and things that the MBA is trying to do um, when it comes to, to mental wellness and health? Yeah, so Mind Health is the league's mental health and wellness platform. And our kind of vision for the program is to humanize the conversation about mental health um, and to position it, as we know it is, as an essential element of both excellence, wellness, and performance, both on and off the court. So in the same way that we have resources that are available to promote physical health and well-being, we want to ensure that we have resources available to assist athletes, coaches, and all of those within our ecosystem as it relates to mental health, wellness, and performance too. And so one of the biggest elements of Mind Health is that every team um, is required to have uh, a relationship with a designated mental health professional, right? And many of our teams also employ mental performance companies but ensuring that they have that resource that's available to players and in many cases to coaches and the rest of the staff so that there is professional resource available to help address this aspect of our experience, right? Because if we're talking about holistic care and holistic development, you you cannot 
omit working with folks from the neck up, right? If you're just working from the neck down, you're not really doing holistic development and care. And so we want to make sure we have a resource available for those intangibles that you might not always be able to see, but really have an impact on how we show up and how we are in the world. And that's our mental and emotional world. I think it, just thinking and reflecting back on some of my sports experiences of how many times coaches said the most important six inches, right? Mm-hmm. And it just feels like mm-hmm. now we're starting to work on that. We used to right. just say we're it. We're starting to realize yeah, that we can proactively work on it, right? I truly yeah. think that when we've talked about those six inches from the neck up, we really think about just illness or the absence of illness. We don't think about the presence of proactive strategies to facilitate health and wellness, and even to, to, to enhance that aspect, right? Like you can engage in mental skills training to enhance the mental aspect of your game or your life, right? Like we can do things that mindfulness is a huge strategy that folks are using now to help kind of hone their attention and their focus. But there are other strategies that we can use to proactively enhance our mental well-being and in, in turn, um, enhance our mental health and our mental performance. Most definitely. So if I was to give you a magic wand and you know, wave that magic wand and tomorrow every student athlete and coach wakes up a bit different, what mental skill or thing would you want them to wake up with? Tomorrow? Oh my goodness. Um, well, now that's a fascinating question. Um, and one that I've never actually entertained. Um, so what would I, if I could wave a magic wand, what would I want them to wake up? knowing um i think i think i might want them to wake up knowing in the same way that they know that if there is anything that happens with them physically there is a resource that they can turn to to help them address it whether no matter how big or how small it is if they wake up Um, and they have a cough, they can go to the drugstore and get some over-the-counter medication. If they wake up and they're feeling something is swollen, they can go to the trainer and have them check that out and have a plan in place to help address that swelling. If there's something more severe, they can go to the doctor. Like they know that there's a resource, a, a range of resources available to address a range of physical needs that they may have. If I could wave a wand, I, I think I would, uh, two, well, it's kind of a two-part. I magic would, wand, you do what you want. It's a magic wand. So I'd have people wake up understanding that regardless of what's happening in terms of my mental wellness, like there is a resource that I can go to to help me in addressing it. I just listed off if there are kind of issues going on with my physical health, but also if I want to wake up and work on increasing my cardio, increasing my strength, I know that there are things and places that I can go to do that. I would want that to be the same for mental health. If I wake up and I'm not feeling all right, there's a resource that I can go to. If I'm waking up and I'm feeling great, but I want to enhance something, I know where I can go to do that. And I would also say that I would hope that the resources would be available, that they would be more plentiful and that access to those resources would be much easier for folks. But I think that's what I would want. I love it. I wish I would like to live in that, wake up with that. Um, When you talk about, you mentioned access. I think that's a big thing, especially when we talk about student athletes in finding counseling. What are some of the biggest barriers that you still see or sometimes that are in the sports space for athletes to get access to? Maybe- I think we're still addressing stigma. I mean, I think a lot has changed with the conversations that we've been having in the recent years, but I think there's still a stigma that exists that we have to address and acknowledge. 
in terms of people still holding negative beliefs about what it means to even acknowledge that there's something going on with you or that you don't quite feel okay. And even beyond that, that there's a stigma with receiving help, right? I think that's true. I think that stigma still exists within the world of sport. And I also think that if we think about the individuals in sport, there are different cultural identities that might also feed into some of that difficulty with reaching out for help, right? Like if you think about race, gender, religion, socioeconomic status, nationality, like we all come from and are, are and consist of different cultural beliefs that shape how we think about things, right? And that too might impact our willingness or our openness or feeling that we have permission even to reach out for help. So stigma is a big one. I think access could be an issue in some ways, even though we have more resources available, we still may need more, right? Like we still may not have enough to meet the need, right? I can yeah. think of um, some institutions where they absolutely have one or two staff members who are available to service the student athletes, but they may have 500 or 650 student athletes, yeah. right? And so the resources available, but there may be a slight weight in order to see that person, right? And so thinking about access in that way, I think is important. On the larger scale, I think, and this could be an entire podcast conversation in and of itself, but just access for the general public in terms of cost and insurance and whether or not insurance covers the services or not, whether providers take insurance or not, and just being able to find a resource and afford the resource once you find it in order to be able to access the service. And so I think there's certainly some places and rooms for room for growth. There's some areas for growth that we still have. Um, I do think we've made some strides, but I certainly still think there are some some areas that we could really work on to increase and improve access across the board. Got it. Uh, one other question I always like to ask you, your passion on the topics is like exudes. I love hearing it. I love could listen to you speak all day, but in, in your work and it's not without challenge and difficulty, what, what brings you great joy? It sounds so cliche, but I really do like working with people. I mean, I, I, um, I have the opportunity to work with a variety of folks who, who represent different walks of life, who have different beliefs, who are striving for different things, right? who have different priorities. And I, the way I like to frame it is anytime I work with someone, it's because I've been invited into their world, right? And I think it's an honor and a privilege. Yeah. to be invited into somebody's world and to potentially work with them around areas of their life that they may never have talked about with anybody, right? Or that they may even have difficulty putting words to now, right? But being able to try to help someone address whatever it is they want to address in their life so that they can move differently in a way that feels better suited from them. I mean, I think that's a tremendous privilege and honor. I also think it's a huge responsibility Right. Like I have a lot of people who sometimes say to me, it must be so great working in, in sport. Like that must be so awesome. I'm like, yeah, sport is cool, but I work with people. Mm-hmm. I don't think we can ever forget that. No matter how many sports spaces or performance spaces I work in, at the end of the day, I'm working with people and trying to help people live their lives in a way that feels better to them. I like <laughs> coaching is of any type is, is a relationship business. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, when we find joy right in there, it's, it's fantastic. But I think that's, 
that's why we're all in it to work with people. It's not fun to work alone in our office unless you get to be on a podcast with you like this. Uh, <laughs> th then it's fire. But uh, you know, uh, you know, as we close out, um, another reflection question for you: with all that you've learned and observed in, in your education and work, if you could jump in a time machine and go see sixteen-year-old Kensa, what piece of advice would you remind yourself? Yeah, I probably would tell her to chill out a little bit. She was a little bit high strung. She was one who was really, really intent on kind of all A's and feeling like there was a certain level of perfection that was required in order to be successful. And so um, the idea of not attaining a very extremely high level of success was, um, I won't say it was unacceptable because it happened, but it was like, it, it felt like it was, um, inadequate in some way. And so I think I would tell her to chill out to, yes, have your standards and strive for them, but like, um, give yourself some grace, right? And understand that there's a range of experiences and you can learn from everything. So stay curious, stay hungry, stay open, right? And always try to do your best um, and, and go with that, right? I think, um, that has has served me well. And again, I, 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 I think there is a difference between striving for excellence and trying to be perfect. I would tell her strive for excellence in everything you do. Do not hold yourself to the unrealistic um, tyranny of perfection and what trying to be perfect brings. That's the difference. That's the message I would give her. Be excellent, but don't worry about perfection. listening if something caught your ear as useful or unique this episode we would love your help spreading the elevate message you can find me on instagram at elevate educate rejuvenate that's with the numeral instead of the ate thank you again and if i can help you with anything please reach out and don't forget go elevate others <laughs>